This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. We have mentioned in the past the issues that our national parks have had with budgetary concerns and the fact that some of them could possibly have periods where they were either not open or understaffed. In response to this problem, the National Park Service is going to make it possible, amongst other avenues that they are searching, for businesses and other entities to sponsor certain aspects of a park or advertise within the park, whether that be maybe an ad on the side of a park bus or having naming rights to a conference center within the complex. But is this the right approach for the park service? We're going to be joined in just a minute or two with uh, by Wharton uh, Professor Americus Reed of the marketing department here at the Wharton School. Uh, also joining us in just a second will be Dan Pushkar, who's executive director of the Public Lands Alliance. But first, we are joined by Reggie Chapel, who's the division chief of the Office of Partnerships and Philanthropic Stewardship for the National Park Service. Mr. Chapel, great to have you on the show. Thank you for joining us. I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you today. Thank you. When did this idea, this actual idea, really get started for the Park Service? Well, this idea isn't new. Uh, This particular policy, Director's Order Number 21 on Philanthropic Partnerships, was actually developed in 1998 with an update in 2008. Uh, And the notion of having corporations involved with the Park Service um, actually predates even the policy. Um, Railroads were one of the first corporations that were uh, significantly involved in actually getting folks out to parks and building some of our first concessionaire um, stands like restaurants or hotels. And so this kind of relationship with corporate America or having the idea of corporations represented in parks goes back at least 100 years. Uh, Now, the policy itself is being updated to actually bring us more in alignment with the way in which the American public experiences um, maybe donor recognition in parks or the way in which philanthropy is played out in institutions like universities. And so all of it is guided by not only the policy, but laws designated by Congress as well. I guess part of what's drawing the attention is is this concept that's being floated around of naming rights. And I think a lot of people think naming rights. They think, you know, the massive stadiums that we've got across the United States and the 20-year partnership companies spending $5 million, $10 million to put their name on the side uh, of, a, um, of a building. That isn't necessarily what this is, correct? That is correct. It is not the same at the baseball stadium or football stadium. Um, Once again, there are laws in Congress, designated by Congress, that prevent that from happening in a national park. When we say naming rights within the National Park Service, we're talking about naming rights within uh, a particular facility, probably our visitor center, and it is for an interior space for a specified um, amount, for a specified amount of time as well. And so very different. You'll never see a big building or park actually named after a corporation or an individual. So if somebody's going to the, uh, uh, any of the national parks around there, I, you know, the, the Redwoods National Park out in California, they're not going to be driving down the road and going to be seeing signs on all the big redwood trees. Absolutely not. That will never happen. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, just so we get that out. That being said, though, as we alluded to, and we've talked about this on the show before, there is a funding gap, a funding need for the Park Service right now. As we mentioned, there have, I've seen articles talk about you know parks maybe paring back their hours, employees yeah. being paired back. How significant is the need for additional revenue for the Park Service right now? 
Well, it is significant. I think one of the things that folks often point to is our $12 billion um, maintenance gap, right? And so we have $12 billion in deferred maintenance. And so there are new, no new appropriations coming from Congress, at least in the past three years. And so we have a flat $3 billion budget. And so within that, we need assistance to actually make sure that these places and spaces are available to the American public, public at a very high level. We're talking with Reggie Chapel of the uh, National Park Service. Uh, we're going to be joined in just a minute by Wharton Professor Americus Reed and Dan Pushkar uh, of the Public Lands Alliance. Uh, this this venue, or I should say this avenue, as you said, has been going on for or has been available for going on for for quite some time. I guess in the past, the money has more been kind of a behind-the-scenes effort rather than just, as you said, uh, potentially having a company's name on a visitor center or, or some building within the park itself. That is correct. So we have a $3 billion budget. I'd say in the past, according to our records, about $200 million has come in per year. Um, to act in terms of philanthropy. And so it's not a significant drop in the bucket, bucket, but it is significant. And so the policy itself, Director's Order Number 21, has been designed to actually make it more flexible and easier for corporations and individuals to partner with the National Park Service in terms of philanthropy. What is the expectation, or, or is there one at this point, of this little change within the policy? You know, how much more can the Park Service potentially benefit from opening up some of these opportunities? Well, here's the interesting part. These opportunities have been available for the past 10, 15 years, right? And so the policy itself is just making it clear of how to actually go about this. Right. Um, I think you can see this in our current Centennial Campaign which has been the place where we've actually tried out a lot of these ideas where we have interior spaces available for uh, naming, uh, naming rights for a uh, $5, uh, $5 million donation. Uh, we've also tried out the idea of having uh, logos in parks, right? Um, mm -hmm. And so where our corporate sponsors are actually featured on our thank you banner in parks and where the banner might be six feet, they're um, actually named in a section that is probably about six inches long. And so this is the kind of um, kind of affiliation that we're talking about with corporate logos and parks or having corporate America play a role in parks in terms of donor recognition. Have you in the short term since this change has been made, have you started to hear from, from new entities, whether they be charitable organizations or companies that, that have interest in being involved in this? Yes, we have. We've had a significant ramp up in the interest of corporate America and individuals and the National Park Service. I think you've seen on the individual side, David Rubenstein give a significant number of donations to the National Park Service. Um, on the corporate side, we've had several groups to come in that have an alignment with our mission as well mm -hmm. um, in terms of sustainability. Uh, we've got Subaru, who's working with us on some of those issues, Coca-Cola, who's also interested in some of those sustainability issues. And then we've got our old partner, American Express, which has been with us for at least 20 years, um, having actually started out the idea of cause marketing with the um, Statue of Liberty pennies campaign, which, ran, which raised $1.7 million in 1983. Mm -hmm. And so these are ongoing relationships that we've had, but that are carefully vetted um, to make sure that the, there's mission alignment with the particular donor or corporation that's looking to partner with the Park Service. Well, I, I just wanted to, you know, throw out that earlier question about, you know, Redwoods National Park and <laughs> going there because, I, you know, later this summer I, I, I was worried that I'd walk down to Independence Mall here in Philadelphia, which is a national park, and I would see great changes with it, but it doesn't sound like I'm going to see a whole lot. No, there will be only <laughs> 
small logos and it'll be tastefully done, but no no renaming of any entity. Mr. Chapel, <laughs> great great to have you on the show for a few minutes. Thank you. Thank you. You got it. Reggie Chapel from the National Park Service. Joining us now, Wharton Marketing Professor Americus Reed and also Dan Pushkar, uh, who's executive director of the Public Lands Alliance. Americus first, just heard the comments, uh, kind of your overall reaction to this. I mean, this is something that it's been around. It's maybe yeah. not just as visible as it potentially could be. Yeah, what I loved about uh, Reggie's comments were they were very guarded. They were very, very well framed to, to really not come across as, hey, you know, this is marketing kind of going to end up in your face now when you're just trying to be out with your kids and enjoy kind of a national historic uh, experience. And so yeah. I think he's very careful about sort of saying, hey, listen, we need money. And, you know, it's got to come from somewhere. Yeah. And so and corporate sponsorships step up to say, hey, we're going to do this. We're going to carefully take a look at them. And this notion he mentioned, mission alignment, I was curious. I'm not sure how you how you, you know, how you get to what that means when you're thinking about allowing Coca-Cola to come in and, you know, put their name on something. Yeah. But it's a very interesting issue, I think. Dan? You know, what Reggie said, I think, resonates uh, a lot with me, certainly. Uh, first, there it has been this long history, a hundred years of history of public-private support, sometimes through corporations of their parks. This is a continuation of that. I think the question of how you think about mission alignment, America's is right there. It's amazing to see just in the past 15 years how corporate America has embraced corporate social responsibility and really thinking through how they're going to engage, say, with the environment or with national heritage ideas. And to be able to create a space uh, for them to be able to partner with the parks uh, and to be able to do great things for their visitors and the preservation of these spaces, I think is a wonderful thing. I'm guessing, Dan, that that this may be a, a situation where the Park Service has tried a lot of different things and they haven't worked. And this, I don't want to say it's a last-ditch effort, but it seemingly feels a little bit like that. Do you agree? No, I, I wouldn't say it's a last-ditch effort. I think there have, as, as Reggie pointed out, there have been some long-term relationships with the parks, not just with corporations, but with individuals yep. and foundations. I think what we are finding, though, is that uh, the entire philanthropic world is getting more sophisticated. And uh, to have opportunities in parks that, as Reggie mentioned, get closer to what you might experience at a university or a museum is simply in keeping with letting those corporations know, hey, we actually do value what you're giving to us. Um, I would also say that, you know, one of the, the great things about how they're framing the idea of logos mm -hmm. is that it's simply that, a logo. We're not going to do advertising. Mm -hmm. You don't get to do taglines. Nobody's going to get to, you know, um, be, be able to use whatever their marketing hook is. Instead, you may, you may see uh, a symbol that you recognize, but without any call to action to go and buy a product. I think it's interesting, Dan, because part of what we think about in marketing is the idea that what does a logo do? Yeah. And it may not necessarily be an outward explicit call to action, but it certainly mm -hmm. is there, – there's a message. Whenever you see wow. Nike, whenever you see the swoosh, mm -hmm. you don't walk away from it saying that, oh, wow, I guess that's – you know. I mean, it, it's well, a message that's, that's there, I think, I, to some extent, I right? I think what you'll see is I think you'll see a, a lot of cases where people will see that Nike or Coca-Cola or, or whoever the company may be is saying, hey, listen, we support the national mm -hmm. parks. Mm -hmm. We want to show that we think this is important to our overall – 
overall message that we send to consumers. Mm-hmm. And, and I think as a byproduct, they gain a little bit of a more positive view, mm-hmm. whether there's po- positive mm-hmm. or negative, but they gain that positive mm-hmm. view from the consumers that are walking around the park and say, oh, Nike loves na- the mm-hmm. national parks. Coca-Cola loves the national parks. Mm-hmm. I think that's absolutely right. And they're going to benefit from that as long as it's done tastefully. Mm-hmm. Sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think this kind of conversation is, is exactly the thing uh, that we have seen, uh, certainly my own organization and its members have seen, you talk to representatives of some of these corporations, they do not want a billboard mm-hmm. in right. front of Old Faithful. They do not <laughs> want, uh, you know, big gobos lighting up Mount Rushmore. You mean, you mean, not you mean, that this policy would ever allow it. You mean, they Dan, don't want that. Dan, you mean we're not going to see the swoosh logo on the Liberty Bell? <laughs> We are not. And, and if we did, I mean, you got to give the guys in corporate America some credit. They yeah. know if they did that, yeah. the blowback mm-hmm. would be so severe. I, I have to say, it's, it's not just the federal government putting up a barricade. Mm-hmm. The smart companies aren't going to ask for that in the first place. In your mind, Dan, was this what was changed on this initiative? Mm-hmm. Was it kind of the, the perfect solution to be able to help the Park Service out and still preserve what our national parks are all about? I think it strikes a really good balance. The major changes that you see are, are really at this question of being able to name something and the idea that there are a couple of other kinds of park furnishings, say benches, yeah. where you can give credit to someone who's helping them out. And in all of those cases, it's about aligning with current, current philanthropic practice. It's getting the parks into the 21st century. Uh, but they're not breaking new ground in that regard. You know, the idea that you might see a, a bench that says this was, you know, contributed in memory of a certain individual, something we see everywhere. Mm-hmm. The parks just weren't taking advantage of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, in many ways, that piece of the donor recognition is is the biggest change. You've been able to see some logos tastefully done in small ways in parks before. I think that's going to continue. It's it's just they have one or two more avenues in which to do that. But fortunately, it's not actually those benches. It's not the paving stones. It's yeah. not the buildings themselves. They don't get the right to do that. Uh, but they might get, say, the auditorium inside a visitor center mm-hmm. where you're showing the park intro film. They might get that. I think it's and int- as Reggie said, for a short period of time. So let me ask you this, Dan. What... what What's the, what's the area of concern? Is there, uh, it sounds like you are not buying the slippery slope argument, which says that once you open up the floodgates to this kind of thing, you know, you may be going in that direction of this NASCAR mm-hmm. sort of phenomenon <laughs> where every single inch of space is covered with a logo. But, but are you concerned that some people, some purists perhaps will say, hey, listen, this mm-hmm. is not the place for marketing. This is not the place for selling things. This is, should be a pure experience where people and families can come and enjoy and learn without marketers sort of putting their messages in front of them. Philosophically, I don't disagree with that. Wouldn't it be wonderful if our parks were 100% funded by tax dollars and you never even had to think of these things? But there, there are three things, I think, that respond to that. One is Congress has made some pretty clear lines about how the worst things that some 
advocacy groups are drumming up for I can't even tell why mm-hmm. um, are just not going to happen. There is no Viagra at, at uh, <laughs> Old Faithful that's going to happen. The policy forbids it, law forbids it, but uh, I'm sure somebody's making money by bringing up that specter. You, uh, I, think you, I think you were going to say Viagra at Niagara Falls there for a second? Wow. Almost. almost. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, All right. Uh, second, I, th- I think it's, it's worth thinking about that um, it's a great thing for the public to engage with their parks. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a, while we focus a lot on the corporate side of things, yep. what this policy does is make it easier for and clarify the rules for individuals to be able to give, for charitable foundations. Yes, corporations that often have a corporate responsibility message because they're employees or their customers care about something. And we should celebrate the fact that people are engaging with their parks with their time, talent, and yes, their treasure. We want volunteers. We want advocates going out and requesting more park funding from Congress, for sure. Um, But it's okay that they want to give too. And I guess the third response is, if we don't live in this fantasy world, that never existed, where parks were solely brought to you by the American taxpayer. I don't think it's a bad thing to make that history clear, illuminate what's really going on by, yes, recognizing those that have gone above and beyond and contributed more than their tax dollars, more than their fair share, to make sure that these places are beautiful, that you have educational and meaningful, inspirational opportunities in them. What about, uh, you, you know, the people coming to the parks and the idea of either putting in place fees for uh, for other pieces to the experience in the parks or for uh, pieces that that already do incur a fee uh, of upping that? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that, that had to be a consideration along the way for the Park Service. Maybe they decided, listen, we don't want to do that because that could potentially alienate even more people saying, well, they're just trying to stick it to us. And at least this mm-hmm. way, they're putting it on the charities. They're putting it on corporate America to, to donate uh, quite a bit more to cover those costs. Mm-hmm. I think all of those things need to be on the table for the future success of sustainably funding our parks. And I think you'll see that uh, this administration, past administrations, future administrations, will look at the question of recreation fees or, or other things as the cost of living goes up, as the cost of goods goes up. You know, those things, those things may have to adjust. At the same time, it still is amazing that a family could buy an $80 pass and with that annual pass be able to take their whole carload of people into every single federal land out there without having to pay any other entrance fees. And that's just not national parks, but it's refuges and forests. And you, you just think of that 80 bucks for the year and your family of four gets in. Yeah. You can't get into Disney World like that. I mean, parks remain, even if whatever fees they charge, one of the best deals you can find. 844 Wharton is the number to give us a call and join in. 844-942-7866. If you can join in the conversation, we're talking about the national parks looking for ways, uh, unique ways to subsidize some of their costs. Part of that may be kind of a naming rights campaign. David is in New York City. David, welcome. Hello. Hi, go ahead, sir. Hi, yeah. I guess my question was, uh, is there an opportunity, or maybe this is already in motion, for technology sponsorship? inside of the national parks, because I can think of some major brands 
uh, in the Wi-Fi space that would be interested in probably pursuing engagement at the Park Service, not necessarily just to provide Wi-Fi, but to leverage the, the Internet of Things and sensor technology to have throughout the parks so that we understand if there's issues or things like that. So um, just just thinking of a different avenue. Right, right. Dan? Mm-hmm. There absolutely have been instances of that working at the local level, and I would not be surprised if there were some national opportunities. We've seen some interesting things happen with technology. I mean, it's not just about giving Wi-Fi access and now everybody's going to look at their phones instead of looking at <laughs> the beautiful grandeur of Yosemite Valley. Right, fair point. Um, but it's amazing to see how we've seen technology be used, say, for citizen scientists. You're out there in the middle of a national park. Mm. You see a piece of flora or fauna. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Being able to take a picture of that, geolocate that, say, Mm -hmm. hey, here we cited X, Y, or Z, Mm. can become invaluable information uh, from a citizen science perspective. Mm -hmm. It's also quite clear that we know people stay engaged with technology in a different way these days. Mm-hmm. You know, people expect to be able to Snapchat and post to Instagram, and that's one of the ways now, actually instead of big marketing dollars, that we're probably going to create a new generation of park stewards. We need to allow, in, in, in many ways, I think personally, uh, for our visitors to be able to say, look at this cool place I'm in, yeah. share that with all their friends who then may be inspired to go visit later that summer or the following year. But Dan, how do you how do you manage the this idea of bringing in new audiences that are perhaps very much well versed with these technologies and they they are constantly tethered to their devices? But you have this other group that's kind of not in that space. So you're sort of inviting both of these groups in and trying to give them an experience that they w- want and enjoy. So isn't that, is that a bit of a challenge then to kind of walk that fine line? What, how, what are your thoughts on that? Well, it's one of the biggest challenges, I would say, that any natural space has these days. On the other hand, you got to consider, hey, you guys are downtown Philadelphia. You go to Independence Hall, a mm-hmm. national park. Guess what? You've got all the interconnectivity you need, right? Yeah. Um, it's it's one of those things where it's uh, I think um, the focus for the National Park Service has been on trying to think through how do we make sure the greatest number of visitors get the greatest experience they can, mm-hmm. and reconciling some of those big outdoor spaces with technology does take a lot of thought. May take some experimentation. Guess what? It might not, whatever we try, work out for everyone every time, uh, but I, I think it's great to see uh, government try to be responsive to contemporary changes, and, and this is one example of that. What you don't want to see, Dan, is you don't want to see what pops up in a variety of different locations across the United States uh, is a version of the cell tower, which, you know, is up and it's basically covered to look like a tree. You know, that's what you don't want to see. That, that would be a negative. That would be a negative, yes. Right? Oh, I agree. Be- I agree. Bettina is in Oregon. Bettina, welcome to the show. Hi, how's it going? Doing very well. Go ahead. Yeah, well, so you've, you've entered into my um, area of interest and sponsorship, and um, I, think, I think that part of the reason for the growth recently in the interest is that a lot of things are saturated. There's, you know, mm. many things have been sponsored now that weren't sponsored before. Right. 
And mm-hmm. so I think uh, companies are interested in, in new sponsorship opportunities. I also think the parks are iconic around the world, and brands want to be associated with them. Um, I'll mm-hmm. share the concerns, though, that it needs to be an authentic partnership, and it needs to be, mm-hmm. yeah, disciplined. Well, Bettina, let me ask you this. You're there in Eugene, Oregon. Uh, that's the home of Nike. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it, it, if you start seeing Nike logos pop up in parks <laughs> in Oregon, what's your reaction going to be? Um, preserving a park, I, if, if the money is, you know, sort of diverted from uh, other uh, sponsorships, um, some of which I, I am not as fond of, maybe, right. mm-hmm. then I'm good with that. Uh, you know, again... Um, tastefully done and 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 supporting uh, outdoor recreation and all the things we value in our parks. Bettina, thanks very much for the call. Eight four four Wharton is the number. Eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. I guess from everything we've kind of discussed here, uh, the the idea that this will be a successful type of plan. Obviously, you have to get the companies and the charities involved, but it doesn't appear like there are a ton of negatives with this in my mind. America, you? Yeah, yeah, I think I think it's super interesting, Dan. I think what I would offer as a friendly revision to this is to say, don't just put the logo up there. Okay. Actually allow them not maybe to put a message or a, a, a tagline, but allow them to express this mission alignment sure. and allow them to actually build, you know, have a narrative around, well, this is why we are doing this. Yeah. And I think if you just put the logos out there, that actually might be worse than okay. allowing them to actually say something that can make that connection to communicate the mission alignment that then makes the thing seem really authentic and you know not going to intrude upon the experience. Dan, how about you? Mm. Yeah, that's a fascinating idea. I, 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 I'm not sure how I feel about it. I, I think there is uh, always a concern the more you try to explain, the more it could hmm. start verging on advertising because you're allowing in park certain kinds of expressions. But I certainly, we, um, I, I support, our organization supports finding channels for companies to say exactly that, whether it's in the releases sent out about the partnership, mm-hmm, the yeah. websites created to, you know, demonstrate how this ties into their corporate social responsibility <laughs> campaigns, the use of marketing dollars not just the philanthropic dollars that may go directly to the park, but to you know enable those companies when they are doing their other kinds of advertising outside of parks yeah. to talk about and recognize this. We, that's fabulous. Should absolutely do that. Thanks very much for joining us today. Greatly appreciate your time. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.